from Madison, Wisconsin in the United States of Global Hegemony, it's Didactic Syncast, with your host Eric P. Hello, Earthlings, and welcome to the Didactic Syncast, your overview of everything important on the planet Earth. I'm Eric S. Piotrowski, a writer and educator in Wisconsin, USA. I am known as Duke Scath in the world of video games and Twitter, a.k.a. Scartoll in the world of Wikipedia and Reddit. Today is Saturday, the 24th of June, 2017 A.D., and so far the world hasn't ended, but... Some of us are getting kind of nervous because crazy stuff keeps happening all over everywhere. But that's not the thing we're here to talk about. Well, sort of. Um, today, I'm happy to bring you my interview with Richard Webster, who is a buddy of mine I've known for many years uh, through the world of video games. And we recently sat down to talk about all sorts of political stuff. And we only got through part of the discussion. So this is just part one that you're going to hear now. And then we're going to do part two at some other point later on. So stay tuned for that, people. Uh, yeah. So without any further delay, here's the interview with Rich. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. All right. So I am here with Richard Webster. He is a web developer and hardcore fan of awesome things, as he says on Twitter. Um, he is also the co-host of the Video Gaming Overseas Connection podcast. And I've known him for, God, what's it been, like five years now? Um, More than that. I think okay. it's been like seven yeah, Eight. it's been a while. Um, we're both involved mm-hmm. with video game uh, communities and subcultures. Uh, I'm part of the Veteran Gamers. He's part of the Overseas Connection. And we've talked a lot over the years about various video games, especially Skyrim, because we did a spoiler cast together for like three hours a while back talking about all things Skyrim. Uh, he is the creator of the Hunting in Skyrim mod, which is recognized by PC Gamer Magazine as one of the 10 best mods for Skyrim ever. And uh, he's also, surprisingly, for uh, some folks who listen to this show, uh, he is, he's um, fairly conservative in some of his views. And uh, I wanna, I've been wanting to talk to him for a long time because we have some things in common and some things that we definitely do not see eye to eye on. But I'm a firm believer in the power of dialogue and discourse and honest interaction. So that's what we're going to do here today. So Richard Webster, welcome to the Didactic Syncast. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I, like you said, I am probably a little bit more conservative than than yourself but th- there has been a a, a a sort of reflection over the last couple of weeks because i've been trying to trying to figure out where it is i actually fit in in the uh, in the spectrum sure Sure. Um, well, I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is that they feel like they have to be in one gang and they have to be one fixed mindset and they can never shift or change if they do their selling out or they're, they're being you know weak or whatever it is. And I think it's healthy for us to always be reevaluating where we are and, and, and the, the need to not confuse principles with an, under, an accurate understanding of the world is a really tricky one. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to to be tribal tribalist over issues that are so so widely varied. Mm-hmm. You know, from racism to poverty to global warming. Sure. You know, these aren't exactly issues that share anything in common. Right. Um. So it it's a little bit silly to assume that you'll agree with an, with an individual on every single issue right. they've got. 
Right. And I think one of the things is that people feel like they have to, like there are certain individuals, you know, like if, well, if Noam Chomsky says this or if so-and-so says that, you know, well, I, if Stephen Fry says this and I don't agree with them, like, well, what's wrong with you? Why, how could you not agree with that person? Right. Or if everybody seems to be saying X and you don't believe X, then you feel like, oh, you know, you're going to be castigated or belittled or, you know, ridiculed yeah, or whatever like, it is. Yeah, like, if, if uh, like for example, if my guy is president, you know, even if I hate his legislation, I have to support it because right. he's my guy. Right, and never say anything bad about who that person is. And yeah, exactly. even if Even if you recognize that what they're doing is stupid, which is why I've always said that it's so important to talk about what people do, not who they are. And I think that yeah. helps us to avoid the traps of, um, you know, blind ideology or, yeah, you know, like constantly yeah, you, you can't you can't make politics into a sports game it's not about teams you know right right exactly so i mean one of the things that i'll say is that you know when i first i i don't know i feel like we knew each other for a long time before i even realized that there were these pretty significant chasms between our beliefs uh and don't mm. worry listeners we'll get into all that stuff but so when we first started kind of going at it on twitter i had someone tell me like hey forget it webster there's no way to talk to him like he's just completely unwilling to listen to anything and Mm. i I, i've you know we've obviously had interchanges on twitter where 140 characters doesn't give us much room to make progress in terms of explaining where we're coming from or you know trying to provide nuance in the discussion which is the main reason i think both of us wanted to do this actual discussion um Mm. but you know there have been times when i've been like you know oh god I, i feel like there's no point in even pursuing this discussion or whatever and I think that that sometimes is going to happen between two human beings, but it should never uh, get in the way of our ability to recognize, A, first of all, and I need to say this for the record at the outset, Richard Webster is a good person. I, I believe in the core of my being that you are a decent individual, not only because we can talk about video games and stuff, but when I'm... Okay, so the listeners need to know, it's been a kind of a rough 48 hours. I've had some mm. significant problems with my PC um, that I won't bore you with, but it's, in, it's involved a lot of work. And as soon as I started putting stuff out into the internet saying, hey, I'm having this problem, they may know what I should do with this, Richard Webster is the first one to respond and say, here's what you ought to do, give this a try. And all day yesterday, I was you know switching out the guts of one PC into a new case, and every step of the way, he was offering advice and suggestions, and oh, this thing plugs into there and you should check this for that and and it's just so nice to have a human being offering that kind of assistance along the way um so that's just one example i think of of um the fact that i believe that you know you're a decent person and it's so you know that that i think is is emblematic of the way in which even people we seem to have nothing in common with i think there is hope for common ground and i think it's important that we communicate with each other in order to find whatever shreds there are there and then say okay why is it we see these things in so such different ways and try to you know if nothing else try to see the world from the other person's point of view a little bit yeah, because there's there's always going to exist people that disagree, but unless you unless you can find common ground with someone that you disagree with, let, let's take it to the extreme and say like two countries that are at war, right. unless they can sit down and hash out some compromise, they're going to be at war forever. Sure, you know, and, 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 and the, you're always going to have to you're always going to have to discuss things with people you disagree with, even if it's only on a small issue like you know what to what to spend money on or whether it's a big issue like whether you're pro-choice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so important to recognize, too, I think, that the the war that you mentioned there is often worse than the stalemate 
that was happening before in terms of not having the discussion. Because I think yeah. so often people think like, well, you know, this whole notion of like, yeah, like death before dishonor or, you know, like uh, anything is worse that, you know, it couldn't be worse if we, you know, agree to their demands or whatever it is. But then, you know, look what happened in Syria when people felt like that was the only way. Now, at the same time, I will say that I think there are certain issues that at some point just become a question of power. And so having a dialogue about whether children should be slaves, for instance, you could meet somebody. I know you don't have that perspective. I'm hoping, right? I mean, we haven't really talked about it, but I'm assuming you're <laughs> anti-child slavery, right? My, my, I, I probably have family members that died slaving away as kids. So oh, no, I'm not, yeah. against, not, I'm not pro-child slavery. Right. So if we were to meet, <laughs> what I'm saying is if you were to meet somebody who was in favor of it, you could talk to them all day until you're blue in the face trying to find common ground. It's probably not going to do you any good. The point is 99% of humanity agrees with that point, And then it's just like, we have to make sure we eradicate that so yeah every once in a while you're going to find someone who's just either completely evil or just completely ignorant and you're not going to change their mind right right so what we've done is each of us has made a list of five things that we believe are very important and we're going to sort of go through them um i should also say that we've sort of traded um documentary films so there was a film that came out recently called the red pill which was um made by a woman named cassie J. is that her last name yeah that's it yeah and um she was curious about what the men's rights movement is and so she made a film and she had made a number of other films before that so she made a film sort of looking into it and interviewing a bunch of people from a lot of different perspectives um and so rich suggested i watch that and i said okay i'll watch that if you watch the 13th which is ava duvernay's film about the prison industrial complex and mass incarceration um so we've each watched both of those and we're going to throw those discussions into the mix and probably talk about a whole bunch of other stuff along the way um, so, Rich, why don't we start with the first item on your list? Okay. Uh, so, so I wanted to talk about the the ideas and theories around intersectionality and white privilege. Sure. Um, um, unless you've got your ear to the ground, or you know, you follow certain circles, you might not even be aware of those two pro- those two things. Yeah. Let's go ahead and define them as you understand them, and we can break them down. Yes. Yeah, so, let's do white privilege first. White privilege is the is the theory that Somebody who is born white has more opportunity or has the, be- the prospect of a better life um, by default just because they are white. Now, that might be because white people get chosen for jobs more than black, um, you know, just as a, as a hypothesis, that might be the case. Or it might be because your family were once slave owners and now you're really rich because of that. Um, so it's the idea that the like, skin color will define whether or not you have a good start in life. Um, intersectionality, as I understand it, is that there's kind of the, the way it's been described is like a victim hierarchy. So, for example, in a debate about racism, usually people with, who are black tend to be seen as more authoritative to discuss the issue because they have historically you know, been seen as racism. And but then certain people might take that to a ridiculous level and say, OK, a black lesbian has more right to speak about racism and lesbianism or a black disabled person. Um, or a trans Asian person, or these sorts of things, and basically the bo- the bottom of the total poll is white straight men okay, are, the, so, are the least victim. Right. So the the I'd never heard intersectionality sort of described that way. So it's again very interesting to hear that perspective. Um, the 
Wikipedia article uh, says this. Intersectionality is a term coined by American civil rights advocate Kimberly Williams Crenshaw to describe overlapping or intersecting social identities and related systems of oppression, domination, and discrimination. Uh, it is the idea that multiple identities intersect to create a whole that is different from component identities. These identities that can intersect include race, gender, social class, ethnicity, nationality, sexual orientation, religion, age, mental disability, physical disability, mental illness, and physical illness, as well as other forms of identity. Identity. So the way I've always thought of intersectionality, I think the way that definition tries to get at it is to say that we are we are all coming from certain places and we have to recognize the significance of those places that we are coming from in terms of our ability, in terms of our gender, in terms of our race and so forth. Yeah, so like the, the, the idea is like, like the, the, the word oppression is used in that description. And right. the idea is that white straight men have suffered the least amount of oppression compared to, let's say, a disabled black lesbian who has had three types of depression. She's had oppression as, as a black person, as a lesbian and as a disabled person. So it's that idea. So, so it's the way intersectionality is portrayed in the, in the media and with, within the articles that I read on places like HuffPo and Vox and stuff is the idea that I am somehow not a victim of a certain oppression, whereas someone with a disability might be a victim of oppression. Therefore, they have more value for affirmative action programs, as an example. So okay. we need to do more specifically to help that group rather than my group because I've had the least oppression. Okay, so just to break it down a little bit, let's let's just take it piece by piece. I don't think anybody arguing and I am one of the individuals, so I'll say, okay, I don't I don't believe that anybody would say that white people don't ever face oppression. The the question is do white people face oppression because they are white? And I would argue the answer to that is no. Because mm. That kind of this brings in the first item on my list, which is that history matters, and what happened in the past still has a powerful impact on what is going on in the world today, and it, it in some ways benefits us, in some ways holds us back, right? So some things that happened in the past don't have a very serious impact today. So for instance, the United States once we hated Britain back in the day, of course, right? We, mm -hmm. we were the hated royalist oppressors and you were going to you know, strangle us with your you know, unfair taxation on the tea and all the rest of it. Well, mm -hmm. obviously over time, we've come to understand that, you know what, we don't have very big differences in the way we govern ourselves. And so, you know, there's not a lot of animosity between Brits and uh, Yanks, right? Mm. But on the other hand, I would argue that race isn't really like that because there hasn't been the same kind of coming together of the races. We see discrepancies that continue to exist in terms of housing, in terms of education, in terms of job, you know, being invited into interviews. And there's a very important study that was happened at MIT. You may have heard of when they sent out a bunch of resumes, some of them with traditionally white sounding names, Michael Smith or whatever, and some of them with traditional black sounding names, Tyrone Johnson or whatever. And the, the white sounding names, the, the, I, the, the, experiences in the education were identical on the two sets of resumes those mm. with traditionally white sounding names got called back for interviews like twice as often as those with black sounding names which is just yeah a, i've seen studies like that myself yeah yeah and I, I think that's just an indication of the fact that you know again it doesn't mean that those employers are horrible people it doesn't mean that those individuals are just stupid it means that there is a systematic level of um obstruction for black folks trying to get jobs. And we see the mm. same sort of thing in lots of different walks of life as well. So do you think that 
Like, because what you touched on there, I think, has been described by some academics as like unconscious bias. Oh, sure. Um, so un- the the idea of unconscious biases is that on a on a on a, on a subconscious level, you have a preference to a certain race over another. Oh yeah. Um, that, that you're not even aware of. Um, the the problem where I think we we get into a position where. For example, I remember Hillary Clinton discussing it in one of her speeches. She said, you know, that there are these unconscious biases that we have to address as a nation, you know, as a people. And I struggle to understand how we're going to sort of combat unconscious bias if we're not even aware of it. It seems like like racism you can kind of combat if you know who the racists are. Right. But chasing un- unconscious biases to me seems like you're just going after a ghost. It's very you know, difficult, and, right. and I think what 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 doesn't really get talked about is that although those studies do show that, for example, white people tend to have a negative unconscious bias towards people of a different color, it's the same in reverse. You know, the black people study tend to have better unconscious opinions of other black people and lesser of white. So I think a lot of it, to to be honest, is down to the human sort of societal evolution that we've gone through. You know, we've gone through phases throughout society and throughout history where it's always been them and us you know and i think i think in human evolution i think we still have that in our sort of dna in a way if you see what i mean there's we're always going to see them as the others regardless of where you are and, and what kind of backs that up is that things like racism and slavery haven't only existed in white countries That's they've existed true. as far back as history even begins yeah but you know in our I mean? society it's been, I mean, white supremacy in Western Europe and the United States, white supremacy has been the order of the day in terms of how we see race, right? It wasn't just that, well, you know, Indians are better at this and, and, and uh, white folks are better at this and black folks are better at that. It was white folks were human and the more dark skinned you are, the less human you are. And there was an attempt, as you know, of course, to dehumanize African peoples and anybody who looked African um, in terms of this hierarchy, which put white people up at the very top. So when you said that, okay, there are also unconscious biases that work in reverse, that may be true. I, I don't know. I haven't seen studies about it. I'd be happy to look into those. But here's the thing. If that if that's the case, let's just say for the sake of argument that it is. And by the way, there are loud planes flying overhead, so I don't know if you can hear them or not, but that's why I'm shouting sometimes. Um, <laughs> no. If that is the case, then the question is, okay, how many – black folks are doing the hiring for multinational corporations because the way I see it, it's not that the the power structure again continues to benefit white folks by and large in terms of where those unconscious biases have the power to affect people's lives. So, okay, yes, somebody walking down the street might look at me. If it's a black person walking down the street, looking at me, they might think, you know, Oh God, you know, that guy's, He's a devil, you know, a punk white cracker. Uh, And he might have that negative attitude toward me, but he doesn't have the power really to do much with that unless he wants to try to, you know, start a fight or something with me on the street. Whereas Mm. if I'm a police officer, if I'm, uh, you know, um, uh, if I'm a bank loan manager, if I'm, you know, again, like in charge of HR at at Microsoft or whatever, I I have power to those biases are going to affect people in a way that goes beyond just individual interactions. Okay, so from starting from that premise, um, there's one of the things that I have a, a difficulty with with a lot of your side of the arguments and my side of the arguments isn't really necessarily to do with my views and your views. Mm-hmm. UK politics works very differently to the United States. Okay. So 
you've like, for example, you've had um, slavery and it was a massive thing in the United States. Yes. Um, are you aware of how slavery worked in the British Empire? I saw a documentary called Bury the Chains and I've forgotten most mm. of what was in it. Essentially, um, slavery was only legal in the colonies. Okay. So slavery was never, was never legal in the United Kingdom. Um, people could come from outside, let's say, for example, the Caribbean or right. you know, India or whatever right. in the colonies. They could bring their slaves with them. But if those slaves escaped, you were not allowed to go chase them. That was against the law. Right. So when we banned slavery, we actually only banned it in the colonies. So we never had that. And it might also explain why only 3% of our population is black. Right. So when we say about things like, you know, are there enough black people hiring in companies and all that sort of stuff? Um, when you've only got a population of 3% being black, it it doesn't make sense to for let's say for example if we want it to be representative why would there necessarily need to be more than 3% of CEOs be black so there, do you see there, what i'm saying i do like, see what you're it, saying so the, that comes to the question of like numerical equity right and so like for instance if we want to bring in gender into this discussion should yeah. the united states congress be 50% female and i think mm. in general the idea of a congress which is numerically reflective of the population of a country i think that makes sense now does that mean that if there are already you know we have 200 or we have 100 senators if there are already 52 women senators does that mean a man should or a woman should not be allowed to run after that no should it mean that a man should not be allowed to run if you know what i mean like i'm not in favor of those kind of hard rules that say you can't do this just because you're a man or just because you're a woman on the other hand i do think that the 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 fact that so few senators are women is a sign that our society thinks in general women aren't suited to be in that position okay and that that's an interesting argument and i think that comes into the the intersectionality and white privilege stuff is that it's easier for men probably you know white men to get these sorts of jobs um but i think what 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 gets left out of the argument is as to whether 50% of the population of women want to be senators do you see what I mean? So it's all well and good saying like numerical e e equality is a good idea. And I'm, personally, I couldn't give a shit if 50% or 90% were women. Right. Um, numbers don't really matter to me. For example, I think the vast majority of nurses are women. So do we need to have an affirmative action plan to make that 50-50 men and women? You know, the, the vast majority of scaffolders are men. Do we need to have affirmative action to make it 50-50 women there? I think what what we see today, and this is just my belief from what people have other you know other people that I've listened to, is that when you have freedom the way our two societies have, you will end up with disparities in different careers or different hobbies because people are left to choose their own paths. If you see what I mean, so there may be barriers in place in certain fields, like for example, science. Um, my girlfriend is a PhD student. And she's in a scientific field. Right. And she says there's, there's still this stigma when you get to like the middle age professor, professor level academia. Mm. There's still a kind of preference towards men in scientific fields rather than women sure. in a way. And now I don't really understand all that. But what she says is that there's affirmative action plans called Athena Swan, which helps helps push more women to be in science. Now, 
I only really support that if there's women out there who want to do science. But and okay, aren't but able hang on a second. To. Hold on a second. Do you think there aren't women? I mean, you just said your wife's a PhD candidate. Obviously, she's interested in doing science. My wife has a PhD in biochemistry. She did a lot of science. Her most of her friends uh, from school were also in the field of science. So I think there are obviously a lot of women who want to do science and. I know that there's a lot of studies that show that young girls are into science at the same level as boys, but once they get to like middle and high school, that interest really drops off. And I think that that's reflective. Okay, so, you know, you talk about the freedom that we have to choose whichever path we take, and yes, nobody's going to argue against that. But then the question becomes a lot more difficult, which is, why do so few women choose to go into the world of science? Now, I don't know much about that because I haven't, you know, I've never spent you know, I, I went to a college where you didn't even have to take science classes if you wanted to. I, I took an astrophysics class because I was curious in astronomy, but I failed mm. it because I suck at science. My I did not get those genes from my dad. Um, but my point is that, you know, there are a lot of things that go into that question, right? Just as there's a lot of reasons why I'm not a garbage collector, right? Um, yeah, there are exactly. A lot of, yeah, there are a lot. Of, but, but my point is that some of the things that influence that disparity have to do with social expectations and the kind of reaction that girls get when they do express an interest in science. Now, I think that's changing. And I think that, you know, the kind of discrimination that your girlfriend gets and the kind of, you know, boys club, the the differential treatment that my wife got when she was doing her PhD compared to some of her male peers was a lot different than what, you know, Marie Curie faced, you know, decades ago, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Or the the lady that basically discovered that, you know, galaxies exist. Yeah, exactly. um, Or the galaxies work in a certain way you know her i remember watching cosmos and it was the lady that, that discovered that um the light from the sun can be used to decide to to show what elements were in it sure and basically the guy wrote the wrote the paper uh, like took the paper from her and published yeah. it himself right and it was right. and it was only later she was recognized and you know she led the field Right. And I mean, if you look at the concept of mansplaining, I don't know if you've heard about that, right? This idea that... Oh, God. Right. So <laughs> let me ask you this, though. Why do you make that reaction? What's the... What, what, are, you, what are you reacting Be- to there? Because it's this idea that by explaining something to somebody of the opposite gender is inherently condescending. Okay, let me stop you there, because a lot of people feel like that, but that's actually not where the term comes from. Let me tell you where the term comes from. This woman, I don't know her name, so I apologize for not having more details, but you can look into it, and it's a fascinating story. Hearing her talk about it is just riveting. She wrote a book about some explorer. I don't remember exactly what she wrote the book about. Um, she was at a party. She, the book had come out like six months earlier. Um, she was talking to this guy at the party about this explorer, and the guy said, Oh, there's a book out about him. You should look into this book about this explorer. It was the book the woman had written. She was like, yeah, 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 he did this and that and the other. And the guy goes, no, 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 he didn't do those things. He did these other things. And he was contradicting her. And she was like, no, he went to this place. Or I mean, you know, again, I don't have the details. But she was explaining very clearly, like, no, this is, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. And he was like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to read that book. And then finally she was like, I wrote that book, dude. So when we talk about the phenomenon, and, and, and she noticed that that was something that happened over and over to her. And mostly it was guys. Do women do that? Sure. But I think that, again, that's evidence that, and I'm guilty of this too, which is why I feel like I can talk about this with authority, is that, you know, sometimes I recognize that when I'm talking, basically when I'm talking to anybody, I assume I know more than they do. Ha ha, joke, right? Mm. But, but, but there is, I think, I recognize, I have recognized sometimes that there are elements in me which 
I sort of assume things about students, for instance, when they come into my classroom. And I, I sort of assume, okay, this person doesn't know about that, and this person doesn't know about that because of who they are and what I know about them on the surface, right? And again, it, it's not that that person that she was talking to at the party was a monster or a demon. And it's not that mansplaining is just anytime a guy explains anything, he's mansplaining. It's, it's an attempt to say, hey, here's a pattern that some of us have recognized where guys tend to assume that they know more about a thing than woman and they are unable to check that assumption that they have in order to have an open honest discussion to say wait what do you know about this and let me sort of check myself a little bit and you know step back a second and say okay maybe I don't know more than this other person does okay well what about woman's planning well, I'm sure when it comes to, you know, childbirth, women are going to, you know, women splain. Now, could a woman who's never given birth to a child talk to an OBGYN and pretend like she knows more than him? Of course. But I don't, from my perspective, I haven't seen that phenomenon happen a whole lot, whereas I have seen mansplaining happen. And I've seen a lot of women in the world of science and technology and history and research and the rest of it talk about their experiences having things mansplained to them that they already understand perfectly well. Okay, so, so why the need to gender it? Because what you've just described to me sounds more like egotism than maleness sure absolutely. Why, why, the, why they need to gender the word because the instance that sticks out in my mind about mansplaining you may have seen the video is video footage from the australian senate okay have you seen it i have not okay so this this uh, this lady i think she's a minister I, I i think she's like part of the government and then this 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 guy mp he's like a, an opposition i think mm-hmm. so she's talking and then asks him a question about something, and he starts explaining it, and then she goes, I'm in really enjoying the mansplaining here. Mm. And he takes her to town. Right. He says, there's no need for that. Right. You asked me to explain, and I'm explaining it, and you're now being sexist. Now, to me, sexism is where you kind of negatively connotate a word or situation and gender it for the sake of gendering it. That's what mansplaining looks like to me, because now it's given birth to things like manspreading, and all these other things, but like, okay, so like what, me... what, like so. If I, if for example, right, if I went to one of these academic things with my missus, right, mm-hmm. I know quite a lot about physics, right, purely from self-study. Mm-hmm. If some guy's talking to me about like the conservation of momentum, this physics guy, and I'd be like, oh yeah, I know what that is. He may continue doing that because he might be an egotistic prick. Yeah. He might assume that I'm poor, so I don't know. So it's not right. necessarily. I don't think it's necessary to gender it. Okay, but here's my point. Here's my point. He might talk your ear off for five minutes, assuming you don't know anything about physics, right? And that would be ego, no doubt. But we don't know, neither you nor I know, whether he would stop at five minutes or accept, if you were to say, okay, well, you know, my reading of Niels Bohr says blah, 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 blah. And once you pull something out of your hat that proves you know what you're talking about, my suspicion is, and we, we, we can't, do field experiments in this type of thing. So we don't know for sure, right? If you as a woman were to pull out that Niels Bohr quote, if that would make him go, oh, wait, you do know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? And so the, the, it's this is why so much of this is hard to talk about because it seems like we only have two choices, right? Which is to say women are being hysterical and assuming that they're getting more um, having their head talked off because they're women 
Or we say that, yes, anytime a man explains anything to a woman, he is mansplaining and therefore he is guilty of not checking his privilege and blah, blah, blah. And that's why, I, you know, the, the, sometimes there are attempts to sort of systematically address this sort of thing in which it's like, well, men won't ever talk, you know, in a classroom, maybe guys won't talk until every woman in the class has talked. And I think that's harsh. But on the other hand, I think that it's necessary for every guy to say, you know what, this is a pattern that a lot of women say that they experience, and maybe I need to do what I can to check myself to make sure I'm not doing that. Okay, so let, let me put it to you another way. The, the, the suspicion um, that I would feel in a different situation um, based on evidence from historical experience and the general stereotype is that women constantly nag. Well, that certainly now is it's, the stereotype. Now, now, if I said that at a feminist convention in L.A., I would probably be heckled out of the building. It depends on how you said it. If I said women nag all the time? Right. Okay, so now I've genderized. I've gendered um, basically asking people to do things because that's all nagging is. It's like, oh, why haven't you done this? You know, you need to do this. Right. I've basically gendered it and say women nag. Right. But that would be seen as negative, whereas... If I'm now questioning mansplaining, like I'm kind of perceived as like this, you know, misogynist guy who doesn't accept, you know, what might be getting told. Now, my my opinion is I don't understand why gender has to come into it. Why can't we just say stop being a condescending prick? <laughs> well, I think that certainly is a very valid way to put it. And I don't think there's anything wrong if you see someone mansplaining to say, look, you're being a condescending prick. Why don't you back off? But here's the thing. Look, if if you see as I see. Okay, let me take it into my classroom, right? <clears throat> but by the way, just so you know, I, I don't dispute the fact that men probably splain a lot. Sure. But yeah, I don't yeah. necessarily think it's because he's got a penis. I think it's because he thinks he's high, you know, fucking God, God almighty. Right, but my point is that those two things tend to be really closely uh, correlated. Okay. You mean like uh, men, men think they're super Men mad. tend to think they're smarter. Men tend to think they know more than other people. And men think that they have, therefore, the authority to not only correct people, but to ignore the evidence. Let's look in them in the face that says this other person does know what she's talking about. So let me put it in terms of my classroom, right? When I start my class... I go in on the first day and I'm like, all right, ain't nobody talking when I'm talking, fellas, so shut the heck up, which is from an Ice Cube album. Um, yeah. You know, I'm putting the law down. I am saying this is my classroom. I don't know who told you this was a democracy, but they were lying and whatever, whatever, right? I get a certain amount of respect from the fact that I'm putting my foot down like that. But as the semester goes on, people start to realize that's all an act, right? I am a big, soft teddy bear. I am a mm. sucker for a sad story. And as soon as you start telling me about how you had to work late, I'll be like, okay, you can have some extra time to do your assignment or whatever, right? The, the women I teach with, and most English teachers in our school are women, um, they take the basic same approach, right? This, the, 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 the cliche in teaching is you uh, never smile before Christmas, right? You have to be hardcore at first, and then you can ease off later, right? So the other teachers take a very similar approach at the start of the semester, and then they ease off, and you start to realize that they're a little you know, less um, you know, unyielding. Yeah. But they get a level of disrespect from their male students that I just don't get. And 
again, it's, it, you know, and, and, and then the question is, okay, right, so we have to ask then, why is that, right? And there's a whole lot of different answers to that question, right? Yeah, it's there, could, gonna be, there could be a million reasons it, why. There could, but here's the thing. When I keep seeing that pattern over and over again, and I talk to my male colleagues who don't have that problem by and large, then mm. it's not insane for me to believe, you know what, I think gender has something to do with this. And so if we want to take it into the field of race, because I know we're all itching to get there, um, mm. You know, you mentioned recently on Twitter the shooting of Philando Castile, right? This is a black man. He was stopped by the police. In the car, in yeah. In the car. He had a gun on him. He was licensed to c carry mm -hmm. a gun. He told yep. the police officer, I need to tell you I have a gun. The police officer started freaking out. Don't reach for it. Don't reach for it. He said, I'm not. Cop, after like 10 seconds, just pulled out his firearm and shot him four times dead. Mm -hmm. Trevor Noah talked about this recently on The Daily Show. And he said, mm. okay, look. The, it, we can all agree that this is just a horrible act of a human being doing something atrocious, right? The guy overreacted. He let his fear turn him into paranoia, and he reacted to that paranoia with deadly force, right? And he that's should just, be in, he should be in prison I'm right now. I'm glad you and I agree on that. He should be in prison. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the thing. What was he responding to? The guy was obeying his rules. He informed him about the gun. He was in a car with his family. He kept his mm. hands where he could see them. So what was making this man so hostile? What was making the cops so hostile? Again, I think we can assume it was the guy's blackness. But to be honest with you, I think the cop was just a really, really shit cop. That may be. We, again, you know we don't I mean? know. I think, right? I think we can't see into his head. Black be especially because there's like, you know, patterns and all this sort of stuff going on with like, even though the actual numbers are, are, are very low for this type of incident. You know, the me the media especially helps create this like this idea that there might be a pattern, and we do see it fairly regularly. Well, but I feel I like think, I see I it think... once a month. Well, Alton like, Sterling, Tyron example... Lewis, Malik Jones, um, you know, Sandra Bland. I mean, there, I, it seems like there's so many examples. Well, Eric Garner. I know, I know there are examples, but like there there are you know I'm not I'm not going to say how many because I haven't quantified it, but right. there are quite a few of these that are due to because the person was resisting arrest. Now, wh whether they deserve to die or not is you know, if they were unarmed, no, they did not deserve to fucking die. Let's right. just get that, you know, straight. Right. But a lot of them do involve resisting arrest, and you don't really know how people are going to react with that. That's you know, true. Humans make snap decisions. But when there's, when there's situations like this where there is no reason for the cop to shoot the guy, I don't think that happens very often. And I think it's easy to assume race, and I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't. The guy could be a massive racist. There's plenty of them out there. But we don't really know. We don't know. I agree with you on that. And, you know? and the problem is that, you know, it, it, because we can't read this guy's mind, we then have to ask ourselves, okay, what does the evidence show us? And you're right, you know, unless we're going to look carefully at trends among police officers, you know, the question then is, do, you know, it's easy to say, well, it looks like white police officers kill African-American unarmed men more often than they kill unarmed white people. But then do the numbers back that up? And I'll be honest, I don't know. But the, I can the numbers tell you don't, the, the numbers don't back that up. Well, I, I, I can't I, say. But here's the yeah, thing. I don't have a link to show you, but the numbers actually say that they shoot white people more. Now, that may be today. That may be because they're now being more reluctant because there's a greater focus. Well, you know who I mean? knows? But my point is this. I don't know. Look, my point is this. I don't blame black folks who feel like they are under constant assault from the police, not just because of the killings, but because of the daily harassment and the, the traffic stops, you know, look, the, 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 the drug laws in this country, white folks and black folks tend to do drugs at about the same rate. 
they tend mm -hmm. to sell drugs at about the same rate, right? But the vast majority of those people who are in prison for nonviolent drug offenses are black, right? And mm -hmm. that's after years and years and years of searching and stopping and harassing people. You know, you look at stop and frisk in New York, that was de deemed unconstitutional by a federal judge because, you know, citizen after citizen talked about how they were constantly harassed um, by the police uh, because they were in. And, and again, like, do they know exactly why they were being stopped and harassed by the police while these white folks weren't? No, but what would you imagine is the reason if you lived in that situation? Because at a certain point, it almost seems like the actual reason and your perceived re reason, they don't matter really. Because at a certain point, people come to feel like they're living in a state of occupied territory. And if well, yeah. that's the case, then you're going to feel hostile. George Bush said, I wouldn't want to be occupied. Well, yeah, I mean, like, for example, like racism is not really that big of a deal in the UK. Um, well, that's what US. you so think. I, I'd be curious is, to hear what other uh, folks of different ethnic backgrounds think. But anyway, go on. Well, no, it's it's pure. It's mostly in the UK. It's mostly about uh, class. Right. So it's it's lower class people getting the, the short end of the stick being, you know, um, targeted for, you know, street crime, low, low, you know, low value crimes and right, all this sort right. of stuff. So it's a lot more about class, which is why this Grenfell Tower incident, which happened a couple of weeks ago, why there's so much focus about it being working class people being ignored because that's the bigger issue because working class people encompasses black people, Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, white people. It's basically everybody. Right. Um, but, but wouldn't you agree that there's probably a larger percentage disproportionately of black and brown folks who are poor? Um. Because I, I don't know really know. And, and I don't really know. And the, the reason why I'm not really not really quite sold on that is because I don't think we need to get equality in poverty. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think it'd be better if it was half and half. No, there's still, there's still the same amount of people who are, you know, very low income. No, I, agree. I think, I think the, the focus should be, you know, low income or is it because they're in certain areas where there might be high crime? Is it because there's less opportunities because small business doesn't want to open there? Uh, just to answer your point about the, the stop and frisk though, um, if I was a black person, I would feel targeted if it was me. And in those situations that I see on the news and all that sort of stuff, and I know it's through like a lens of narrative and, you know, don't 100% believe because, you know, could be this and that. But I would. But from what I've been told, um, like I listen to Larry Elder a lot. He's a quite a prominent black conservative uh, political commentator. Okay. Um, I've heard from him that when these sorts of things happen, for example, let's say, let's say, for example, 60% of the people that get pulled over for traffic stops are black, right? Um, what they actually find is that correlates with like FBI figures of who actually commits the crimes. It's usually about 60% of that race. Well, that's not now, the numbers I, I've seen. Now, I can't, I can't give you an exact study, but I think it might relate to gun crime in the US where it was like 90% was, you know, black or Hispanic people. So when the people were stopped and frisked, it was 90% black or Hispanic people. So I think sometimes there are these things, but... I think they get ignored because people quite, I mean, I don't know if it's justifiably in the US because there has been a lot of shit in the past, but people assume race straight away. Do you know what I mean? It's like the go-to thing to go to first rather than look at the socioeconomic issues. Like, I'll give you an example because well, I want to get off but this wait, wait, topic. Race is a socioeconomic issue though. No, but like skin That's the socio part but, of it. But skin color won't, if I've got no money, whether I'm white or black, doesn't matter. I've got no money. But you're going to have a harder time Dealing with that poverty if you're black in the United States. Now, I don't know that okay. for sure, but I believe that with every fiber of my being. So what about like 
redneck white people with no money what about growing them? their own marijuana and drinking moonshine what about them like they they have a proper horrible time trying to get money so oh, much yeah, so that they absolutely. voted for, i'm not arguing that they, so so much so that they voted for a really really rich guy to yeah, who thinks, who a they slick think talking the huckster right because he appealed to their racial identity he told them they were poor because of the illegal immigrants streaming in from Mexico. He told them they needed to be scared of the Muslims who look different than they do. And so once again, white people in the United States said, I have more to gain by becoming tribalistic with other white people than I do mm. from recognizing that I have a lot in common with these poor black folks living across the railroad tracks in that housing project from where my trailer park is. Because okay, that's so what white supremacy has always done. It has always said, look, Italians, we hate you. Italians stink, you're smelly, you're nasty. Irish people, get out. You don't need to apply for these jobs, right? But once we need to divide and conquer, once we need you on our team, we will allow you to become white. And so Italians mm. now are white. I I Irish people are now considered white, right? But they doesn't were that work, Doesn't that work the other way around, though? Like, for example, one of the people that – I think the guy who shot Philando Castile was Hispanic, wasn't he? Doesn't right. that work the other way around where you make the argument that because he's a cop, he's now a white supremacist regardless no. of his own race? The point is that because he's a cop – I've heard cop, people make that argument before. Well, I haven't heard that. But here's the way I see it. Because he's a cop, he sees the black person as ready to murder him at any second. Now, that's not just because he's a cop. That's because he is not a black person and presumably does not live among black people, does not know a lot of black people. And again, I will bring this back to my classroom because when I started teaching, I came from a mostly white environment, right? I went to a high school, which was, you know, there were a lot of black folks in that high school. Most of the interactions I had with the black kids in my school were one of them beat me up and took my chain. One of them uh, hit me in the head with his brush at one point because he was, he was goofing around, but he goofed around in a much more aggressive physical manner than I did. Um, so mm. anyway, you know, when I went to college and, you know, most of my work life has been mostly spent around white folks. And so when I went to start teaching, I felt a certain anxiety when I was dealing with my black students. Part of it was because I'm a guilty white liberal and I didn't want to say anything that might be perceived as racist. Oh my God. But a lot of it was I was scared or scared as the kids say now, um, because I was ready for things to explode at a moment's notice. And so my attitude in that first year of teaching especially was I need to be ready to nip at thing in the bud and not let them take advantage of me in any way, shape, or form. And I was watching the black kids much more carefully than I was watching the white kids. Now, what I've come to understand after 17 years of teaching is that black kids and white kids behave in the classroom almost exactly the same. You have some that are motivated. You have some that are not. You have some that are going to try to get away with things. You have some that are not. But I have had to fight those voices in my head for 17 years that say that kid in specific is going to try to get away with stuff. Okay, so let me just ask you this. Um, are there any affirmative action plans to get more white kids into programs? Uh, I don't like, know. For example, I would for doubt example it. universities, like do universities actively recruit um, white people on paper? Well, it because, depends on what you mean by actively recruit white people. Because if you're talking well, about legacy admissions, then the answer is like yes. If, if, like your dad went say, to, if your dad went to Harvard, you're much more likely to get into Harvard than if your dad did Okay, let, let me phrase it this I mean, way. How did George Are W. Bush get into Yale, right? Let me, let me phrase it this way, because what you've just described to me there is class again. Rich, rich people get better opportunities. But who, are, the, who are most of the rich people in the world? They're white. In white countries, they're white. Yeah. 
because they would be because they're white countries. And I live in a white country. Yeah, exactly. But it's but well, it's that, not. But again, it's not numerically like, reflective of the population. It's well, like well, in the UK, like three percent of the population is black. Right. So you would expect maybe three percent of them being rich. I don't know. There are families who've lived here for two thousand years. You know, and maybe not two thousand years, but you know, Jesus, a long time. My family, uh, one of my family um, family trees came over with the Normans in ten sixty six. Right. Um. So I'm, I'm part French as well as right. part Irish. Um. But anyway, what was what I was saying was you you see no scholarships scholarships that say this scholarship is for a white person. Right. Now, why is that? Because people perceive black people as having less advantages than white people. Right. Right. But isn't that bigotry? It, it, it is bigotry an attempt to overcome another bigotry. Right. Okay. So, a, so, two, action, wrongs, so two wrongs make a right. I'm not saying instance. they make a right. But the, the, they may make a less horrible wrong than what would happen if we ignored one of those wrongs. Okay. But we're assuming that a wrong was going to be committed in the first place. I'll switch it back around to female. Um, right. The BBC will have a job advert and it will say we are only accepting women for this position. That's the language in the job announcement? Yeah, my girlfriend wanted to apply for a job the other day and it said only women of minority. Now, uh, the reason okay. they get away with this is because they say it is um, positively um, helping less representative people into a field of study or a field or a job. Um, where they might not have more opportunity. This is I, the wording of it. So this is how, for some some reason, they get around discrimination laws. Now, discrimination to me would be giving somebody or not giving somebody an opportunity because of a their race, their gender, their sex orientation, or their religion. If you advertise, for example, a black scholarship to Harvard University as black, that seems to me like you're giving a scholarship to a black person over a white person. So there is a white kid out there somewhere or a Hispanic or an Asian kid out there that will not get that scholarship because it's aimed at black people. Okay. Now, now I now I might be a bit of a hypocrite here, but I probably would be okay if it was a um, poverty area scholarship. I would, even though that does discriminate against rich kids. You know, by by my definitions, I Keep would probably going. be okay why, if it was like why less advantaged it, people. Right. So, but okay. So let me try to break it down. My guess is that you're not uh, against that because you assume that bec when the kid is born rich, born into a rich family, he's got thirty things handed to him that make it more likely he's going to get into college than that kid who's born poor. Yes. Like for example, most of the geniuses in the world today are probably dirt poor Chinese people. Okay, you know, but they never IT. have any opportunity to uh, develop and, and that have, genius. They, Is that they what will you're never, they, yeah, they will never get to get to enjoy the, you know, the fruits of their labor. What way they would be able to achieve because of their, you know, position. Right. So I, I, the way I see it is, we shouldn't really, we shouldn't prevent a child who has the ability to succeed from succeeding based on something else. And we should probably do more to help kids who are from a poorer background. Okay. So, Which I think this is where I lean more towards liberal. Well, one of the reasons why I lean more towards the left. Yeah, you're sounding like than, a hard. You sound like Bernie Sanders or Corbyn or whatever. That's what. That's part of the reflection I've been doing. Like the, I think there are elements of social justice that need to occur. I mean, even obvious ones like the suffragettes. You know, we Preach. need to give women the vote, of yeah, course. Absolutely. Um, so I'm happy to give kids. But what I don't agree with is getting into getting into things that kids can't choose. Like like an eighteen year old kid can't decide whether he was black or white. He so can't that's not whether his he's fault. rich or poor either. Yeah, so that's not his fault. So right. to give someone of a race something over another race is discrimination. But again, look, 
this, all I'm saying is the, the thinking that leads me to believe that it makes sense to give more scholarships to poor people because the rich person was handed a bunch of stuff that made their life a little easier. Maybe, you know, and some rich kids has, still have miserable lives. Let's not kid ourselves. There are rich people who are abused. There are rich people who are neglected. There are rich people who, you know, live in a bubble and they end up like the upper class twit of the year competition on Monty Python, right? So, I mean, it's not as though you're born rich. Your life is a cakewalk, right? No, but, it's just easier for you to get like private tuition. Or, exactly. You know. So all I'm saying is that there are some less tangible but still significant advantages that white folks have that black folks do not. And so, I know, but does, doesn't that doesn't that pass on some sort of um, negative guilt to a white person? It could, but my guilt is much less important to me than. You know, so for instance, did I get the job that I have now because I'm white? Well, was that a factor in it? Maybe, I don't know. But I, I'm i much less concerned about my guilt or the guilt of other white people than I am about black folks who are geniuses who don't have that opportunity to let their genius develop because they were born in Compton, California. And therefore, they lived in this environment which was surrounded by gang warfare, which was surrounded, they were experienced police harassment on a regular basis. They had grinding intergenerational poverty. They had very little job opportunities in a legit sense. So they felt they had no choice but to sell drugs, et cetera, et cetera. You know the story. And all I'm yeah, saying is, like, like I said, though, doesn't that doesn't that create a division based on race when it doesn't necessarily have to be about race? If Compton, California, were both black and white and Hispanic, yes, but it's not. Compton, California, is black. The only people who live in Compton are black. Okay, the only people who live in you know uh, Appalachia, you know Kentucky mountainsides, they're white. The only people who live in the barrio are Hispanic, but. You know, so, okay, so, so in, so in you a think way, should have more scholarships for white kids specifically from poor backgrounds in like places like Arkansas or no, because here's Kentucky. the thing. Here's the thing. Their whiteness is not holding them back. Their poverty is holding them back. But if you are black, you have poverty holding you back, and you have white supremacy holding you back as well. But we're assuming that. That's we? what intersectionality is. But that's what we're assuming. Like we don't know that every single job interview they have, that person across the table is not going to hire them because they're black. We don't know. This is where I come back to that study I mentioned at the top of the show. We have some research that suggests that that's the trend. Yeah, but there's one study over a control, like a small controlled area that may be open to bias. You know, maybe those people have have biases of their own. I think I think jumping to the assumption is where I sort of have the problem with it and where I don't go towards more progressiveness. Okay, well, let me, let, me, let me break this into a scientific realm then, okay? I'm holding a pen over a desk. It's half over the desk, half not over the desk, right? Mm-hmm. When I let go of the pen, is it going to land on the desk or not? Yes. Right. So we can do experiments to see, okay, you know, yeah, when I let go of it because I'm holding it more to one side than the other, et cetera, et cetera, right? But mm-hmm. if, if nine out of 10 times I ho- let go of the pen and it lands on the desk rather than falling off the desk, then it makes sense on that 11th time forward. We can't know the future, but we can say my hypothesis is it's going to land on the desk, right? So you're right that based on one study, we shouldn't say, okay, yes, we have to give black people affirmative action because we have to make up for the systematic bias. But personally, I don't believe it's just one study. I believe that's one reflection of the problem. Okay, but... Like I said, someone is missing out. What, 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 what the, the difference, this is where, I, I, again, this is where I'm more right to, than left is because I, I prefer negative rights rather than positive rights. 
So like the negative right that everyone has the opportunity to go for a job. Positive rights is where you give somebody a right by taking someone else's right away. So for example, my girlfriend wanted to apply for that job as a writer for this science thing. She would have been able to go to government for three months and do a big report. But because she wasn't from an ethnic minority background, she now is exempt. So the right for her to apply for that job has been taken away in okay, favor it, of an ethnic mi okay, minority. If the, job, if the job offering said there is no way that a white woman's going to get this job, I, I'm just I've never seen that sort of thing before. And if that's what it says, yes, that's wrong. And, and that's what, what, what we have in the UK. We're, we're starting to get this sort of affirmative action for minorities. Like the BBC does it all the time. They'll, they had one the other week. I nearly fell off my chair when it said we need like a, a black transgender person. It's like, well, that's a very specific, you know, unless, unless you're, you're looking for a researcher to study, uh, you know, African heritage transgenderism. Even then, Anyone can re do that research. It's these sorts of things where I think, well, hold on, you, you're taking away the right of one person over another. And the reason why I've got a bit of a problem with it is because it's not the person's fault. It's not the white guy's fault that the boss may hire a white guy over a well, black no, of guy. Of course not. You're it, right. It, that, the, and that's what I mean. But, but, but we're not taking anything away from the business owner. We're taking the right away from the prospective employee. The candidate is going to suffer because the other candidate will get the job based on their race. Now, we can assume it might have gone the other way because of that, but we'll never know. But we know for sure now that white women can't apply for that job because it's only ethnic okay, well, women. again, I, I'm not going to argue in defense of affirmative action of the type, which, again, I've never seen in the, in the world I live in, that says white people can't apply for this job. But Yeah, and, that, and, that, and I know you wouldn't necessarily do that, but that's why I think I'm more focused on, like, poor people. Because like, I think definitely, regardless of your skin color, if you've got no money, you've got no money. Do you know what I mean? I, like, for example, there are so many poor people I went to school with that just dropped out of school. They went to drugs. They just hang around the shop on a Friday night. And I don't live anywhere near black people, really. There might be a couple in this town. That's it. But there's plenty of poverty. There's plenty of crime. There's plenty of little scallies that just do whatever they want. Do you see what I mean? So I'm yeah. I'm less focused. But, but I definitely think that if people have the ability... You know, like, for example, you might have seen it. Did you see that video on YouTube about that, that black salesman who was, like, spraying windows? Nope. Kenny something his name was. He was brilliant, right? And he was just working for this organization that gives, like, uh, black kids on the street, you know, of Compton or whatever, opportunities. They just go door-to-door -door selling, like, cleaning stuff. And he was brilliant. And I would hire that guy. And that, that guy deserves an opportunity. But, you know, it's, it's just one of them things. So I think we do agree halfy-half, I think, on that issue. Um, I, I, the reason why I don't really like it is because you're punishing the person who may have gotten a favor. Do you know what I mean? I you, think, it's, again, it's, it's it's not, I don't think, it's, I don't think it's punishing, though. I think it's, it's saying, look, you know, here's what Chris Rock said, right? Chris Rock said, I don't think I should get a job over a white guy if, I'm, if he's better qualified than me. I don't think I should get a job uh, over a white guy if he has more education than me. But if it's a tie, screw him. You're going to be all right, white guy. He said, there's, an, uh, there's not a white man in this room. He was in a comedy club, right? There's not a white yeah. man in this room who would trade places with me, and I'm rich. He said, there's a one-legged busboy in here who's like, I don't want to change. Now, I don't know <laughs> if that's true or not, but, you know, and he's making a joke out of it. But I, again, yeah. like, you know, here's the thing. You and I don't know what the burden of being black is, right? Mm -hmm. We don't. We can't know that. Right. So what can we do? We can listen to what black people say and we can take that.
perspective seriously. That's not to say, you know, a black person knows everything there is to know about the hearts of white people because of their experience, but but it is, they are the only ones who can say what it's like to be black in America. The, the, I think the difficulty for me to, to get behind it is it's the, the sins of the father. Well, in some know? cases, you're right, yeah. And you know, they should like, not be visited like, upon the ju- sun. Like, just because, like, for example, you're in Wisconsin now, mm-hmm. the likelihood that you're from slave ancestor background is, is zero. I think you're probably an immigrant from Europe. Right. Um, my later father's on. family came so, from Belarus. My mother's family came from Germany. Right. Yeah. And in so, fact, my mother's family I, was fleeing the Nazis. So, yeah. you know. And I'm, I'm from an Irish background. Uh, my family came to England to flee the famine, the right. potato famine, because yeah. there was oh, sure. you no know, no food. Yeah. Now, I'm in this situation in, in where I live now. You're in that situation in Wisconsin. None of us have anything to do with, with race. But to say white guilt, white privilege, we have this privilege because of slaves and all this sort of stuff, none of us were there. None but of here, us were no, born. Okay, but here's the thing. Do you know what I mean? You're making a Like, jump, I, like I'm the... from Ireland. Yeah, and, right. And, you know, but again, all that look, sort of stuff. Well, white privilege doesn't just – it's not a direct line from a scumbag who owns slaves to you. It's it's diversified, right? That wealth that was accrued from the plantations was mm. then infused into every part of society. Cornell West said white supremacy was like a serpent wrapped around the table that the Declaration of Independence was signed on. And that wealth then went out into every part of American society. And I don't know about the UK. I'm not going to speak to it. But, you know, I think we can safely say the wealth that the crown stole from, for instance, India was then brought back to the UK and then, you know, diffused into society in a way that benefited the wealthy land-owning white people first, but then, again, trickled down and was used to buy off some of those white folks to say, hey, again, you know, your lot in life is more tied to me because we have this white thing in common. Let's not share it with those black folks. And as a result, they had to go through reconstruction, sharecropping, gym, Crow and all the rest of it. So well, yeah, the I fact mean, that we like, benefit, hang on a second, the fact that we benefit from white privilege isn't because our families were, you know, related to slave owners. It was the indirect, diffuse way in which that wealth has been used over the generations that mm. eventually comes to benefit us in certain ways. Okay, well, I can understand that. I don't think you'd have to be a, a fucking moron to, to um, deny the fact that wealth created back then you know st- still exists today in some way whether it exists in a bank account or whether it exists as the white house building itself mm-hmm. um i mean i'm from the british empire we we pillaged the world we were the yeah. gl- biggest empire that ever existed sure. uh, we didn't we didn't shake hands with the indians um you know when we landed and be friends you know it was war and stuff you know yeah. it was conquering and um, oh, yeah. that's what we did but like how far back do you go because at the at the height of its power there were 90 million people in the roman empire Sure. Right now, that might not, it's not a lot by today's standards, but that's a lot of people. Okay. 20% were slaves. Yeah, sure. 18 million people. Now, 18 million slaves is more than what were taken from Africa oh, sure. during the slave trade. Yeah. So, like, do am I suffering? And the Germans and the French, are we suffering because those nasty, you know, Italians enslaved all of us when they conquered us and then built the Roman Empire and then civilization because the same thing happened. We just haven't gone through history far enough yet. But what in, I would in 300 say, right. years or 500 years, 
the benefits of slavery will still have existed, but they just won't be perceivable. Well, and it may be that the diffusion will continue. I think we've made progress. I don't agree with ta Coates, who says that it seems like we've gone nowhere in 200 years. Um, I do believe that Martin Luther King was correct when he said that the arc of the universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And I like to mm-hmm. think that in 300 or 500 years, we will have overcome a large part of the white supremacy that currently plagues the United States. I would argue that the slave experience in the United States, and in in, I don't again, I'm not going to speak to the UK because I don't know, but my understanding of white supremacy is is different in Europe and the United States than it was in Rome because the the people that Rome enslaved were just the losers of the wars, right? It was just we managed to beat you, therefore you are our property now. Yeah, and, but in, and it was mostly white people. Okay, but in the United was, States, Europe, but, but, I mean? in, but in the Western European context of white supremacy, again, the project was to say, not only did we beat these people in a war, we beat them in a war because we are human and they are not. We beat them in a war and, and we have the right to keep them in chains because they are not human. And, and well, that... yeah, but like dehumanizing your your enemy is something that Hitler did with the Jews. Of course. You know, once, once you've labeled somebody anything, whether you label them a Jew or a Nazi, you've taken away their identity. Right, but the Hitler's attempt to demonize and dehumanize the Jews went on for, let's say, 50 years, right? Hmm. And so that had an obvious, I mean, look, I'm my mother's side of the family is Jewish, which means I am Jewish. I am not going to downplay the significance of Hitler, obviously, right? Yeah. But But my point is that the, the the impact of that program was horrendous and hideous. And I mean, it, he almost wiped out Jewish people from the face of the earth. There's no doubt about it. But it, you know, it, the, it, there were a few generations, therefore, that experienced that. And now the, the Jewish community has managed to, um, you know, I, I can't say move on. But all I'm saying is that was 50 years compared to 450 years which is a lot more generations of black folks being told you are nothing, you are not human, you deserve to be enslaved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, of course, I mean, like the Jews, there's only 15 million Jews in the world um, okay. and they own a lot of the wealth and 25% of all Nobel Prizes. So okay. it's that they are being very successful um, in spite of um, what happened, uh, whether or not they would have been more successful or less or whatever, what happened. I dare I don't know, say they'd know. probably be more success if not for the Holocaust. Yeah, pro- probably, but, um, but like, I mean, I'm, and I'm not disputing the fact that black people suffered during slavery, of course. I mean, it was fuck. I, I almost And like, Reconstruction t- and up. Jim Crow and the sharecropping era. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, the, I'm a guy who cried watching Hidden Figures because I thought it was fucking disgusting the way people were treated like that. And you know what? It was never like that in the UK either. And that's why we can't think. There's a story, right, of U.S. Air Force troops. I think it was in the 50s on a base in the UK. Yeah, the Tuskegee. Right? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And they... um. They, they went out after their black soldiers saying you, couldn't, you shouldn't be mixing with people, and we didn't like that. We were like, what are you talking about? It's just people. They're just down the pub. Well, that's they, why, they a, lot of, right, that's why because... a lot of American writers and musicians have gone to Paris and found a much more yeah. receptive and less hostile environment. I mean, you'll talk to, I've heard from black folks who go to Canada, and they find that the hostility there is just so much less intense. And, you know, we have a particular breed of nationalism and identity in the United States, obviously. That's just I, me. I, I mean, I, th- I think... I think it's just really weird for me to understand because, well, like I said, like the Roman Empire was a thousand years and built on slavery. The Greeks had slaves. Mesopotamia had slaves. The Babylonian, the, the oldest written written document we have in the world, the longest oldest written document is a Bab- list of Babylonian laws that includes slavery from 1700 BC. So it's it's like how far back do you go? Like 
are the, um, you know, let's say, for example, the Babylonians enslaved the Assyrians for 50 years. Are the Assyrians still struggling? Could they have been impacted? Do we need to do something about it? The, the Bolsheviks and the Slavics, you know, Eastern Europeans, they were enslaved by the Muslim Ottoman Empire for like decades. Sex slaves, you know, murdered, genocide. Do we do anything? Is that an issue for them? Are they still struggling? It's just like, I just find it difficult to try and remedy what's happened in the past. You know what I mean? Maybe it's because I am in a privileged state. I don't know, but my, my family, I mean, two, like 20,000 civilians died when the Irish wanted independence. My family were probably part of that. Oh, sure. So, so do I hate the English? Should I, should I be marching against the supremacy governments of the UK? Like, I don't really understand it. Do you know what I mean? I can only really speak for myself right. and what I do. Right. You know? Here's a way for us to... If it was me, let, let me just make this my last point, and yeah. then I want you to discuss some of your stuff. Sure, but sure, sure. if it was me and I, I was in charge of the world, um, I'd ignore this idea of like ghost white supremacy and ghost slavery, and and just be very strict about actual incidents of racism and stamp it out for good. Because my hope is, like, there was a lot of racism in the 60s and 70s in the UK, but as generations have moved on, it's you know going away. My hope is eventually it'll just disappear. That's my hope. Um, well, we that's just my need hope to, too. I just need, I just need to think we need to. We just don't need to call everything racism because then we sort of forget what actual racism looks like. Do you know what I mean? Well, okay. So the two things I'll say about that are one, I don't feel qualified to say what is actual racism and what is not because I don't experience racism myself. But mm. you know, I, I whatever. Uh, and then the other thing is that I I share your hope that we should you know, we want the, the, the discrimination and the hostility to go away. And mm -hmm. I, look, I remember when I was in high school and I was in a history class and we were talking about affirmative action and yeah. the teacher explained the nature of it as I understand it. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. I, I agree with that. And I had black students in my class who said, that's messed up. I don't want to get a job just because I'm black. So there and is that's the other side of it as well. Right. But here's yeah. my point. Look, here's my point that I agree. And I think that's a, an important point to consider. But again, the question is, which is worse? And they're both horrible, right? The, the, the fear that the black person's getting a job just because they're black or the fear that the white person's getting a job just because they're white. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's so hard for us to know. And this is where it comes back to what do you believe is the nature of the problem and so forth and so on. I think we're going in circles a little bit. So let's, that's just one point each that we've both made. Okay. So how about you talk about the second point on your list? Okay, well, I just want to talk very lastly on the other issue because yes. it goes overall on my belief. I think equality of opportunity should be the focus for everybody, Okay, not not equality of outcome. So give sure. everyone a chance equally. Do you know what I mean? I do. Uh, okay. Here's what I'll say about that, though. Yeah. The, the outcome for one generation is the starting point of the opportunity for the next, right? Of course, un unless they're alcoholic or um, gamblers, in which case it's the opposite. What um, do you mean? It's the we, we, we all know people who people who get rich don't necessarily stay rich. No, but people who are born I know, poor I know they tend like to, tend to that, be poor it's, their it's whole not life. A, it's not certain, do you know what I mean? It's right. not 100%. Right. So all I'm saying yeah. is if your parents are rich, you have, again, a much better shot in life because the opportunities that you have yeah, are dependent Definitely. upon the outcomes that your parents had. Yeah, definitely, 100%. So when people say that they're opposed to the idea of equality of outcome, I always get nervous because your outcome is uh, the starting point for the next generation. So in a way, I don't think it's that simple to say we should only have a quality of opportunity, not a quality of outcome, because I don't think they're easily split apart that way. Well, but if, if you're trying to do a quality of outcome, you're, you're changing the rules and then discriminate against someone else, aren't you? That's what I mean. If you give everyone the same opportunity, 
Like, I think someone's bringing in thing where you don't even know someone's name when they're applying for a job now in the UK. Do you know what I mean? So there's you're only looking at the qualification right. and experience. Right. Something like that. I think we should do what we can for opportunity and focus less on the outcome because, I don't know, it's just weird. And But I know what you're saying. I don't want a poor kid to suffer because some rich twat had a £20 million, you know, trust fund or whatever. Amen. That's not fair. So that, that actually brings me on to one of my other points, which is that capitalism is immoral. Okay. Do you want do you want to discuss capitalism or shall I go into men's rights? No, let's talk about capitalism and then we can get into men's rights later. Go for it. Men's rights is only going to be short, by the way, because you know we don't have any. I'm only messing. <laughs> I'm, only messing. I'm on. not going to be I'm not going to be quiet during a discussion of men's rights. <laughs> okay. So yeah, capitalism. I knew you'd probably want to talk about this. Yes, I do. So here's the way I understand capitalism. Capitalism is based on the idea of a free market and the ultimate. Um, guiding principle of a free market is to say nothing should get in the way of people's ability to buy and sell things. That's what you understand about capitalism. That's the way I see the basic structure of capitalism. And that's Um, why there's no such thing as Ha Jun Chang, the South Korean economist says, of a free market. Of course, there are limitations to the free market everywhere. Slavery is illegal, right? You can't sell mm -hmm. crack on the street, etc., you know, most you know, in terms of the law, um, yeah, it be, and because it's because we recognize that capitalism is in and of itself insufficient to provide the 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 world that we want to live in, and so we have to put boundaries around it. See, ca- capitalism is the only system that is universally fair, um, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. Something that's universally fair isn't necessarily fair to humankind, or to poor people, or or anybody. You know, eventually the sun is going to blow up and we will all be dead. Well, that's not fair by us. But on the grand scheme of the universe, that's just normal. But an economic system is not a force of nature. An economic system is something that we humans have created. I'm just explaining the perception of fairness. Right. Okay. You know, there's our fairness and then there's justice or, you know, there's equality. There's all these different things. Um, What capitalism actually is, is the, the, um, it's, what's the word I'm looking for now? The voluntary exchange of goods and services for another, you know, for another thing, whether it's money, whether it's trade, whatever. And the least amount of interference from the government. So, for example, um, capitalism is me being able to open a a fruit and veg shop and you come in and buy fruit off me and I sell it to you and then I use that money to um, make some salary for myself, buy stock, maybe employ someone else. Uh, as profits go, I'll be able to open up a second shop and et cetera, et cetera. Um, capitalism is not bailing out a bank when they go bunk bust. Right. So so the way they the, your banks did it and our banks did it, the way our governments bailed out our banks and used our money to bail that out, that is not what capitalism is. Right. So that, why did we do capitalism, that? Uh, actual capitalism would let that bank fail. Right. But why did we why did we bail the banks out? Because of corporatism. We did it because we realized that if we didn't, then the unemployment rate, which had reached, what, 12% at one point, that would have reached 30% if the banks had all failed. We would have possibly, had a but, nightmare on our hands. You possibly, think the Tea Party but, is interesting bringing AR-15s to protests? It would have gotten real interesting if unemployment had reached 30%. Donald Trump would not be president right now. Richard Spencer would be president of the United States right now if the <laughs> banks had failed. Well, yeah, but like... That unemployment, you know, the money lost from the economy and all that, how much did it actually cost the Federal Reserve, which is your money? How much yeah. did they spend bailing out all the banks? Because that was your money. money. Oh, yeah. So 
So isn't that just another way of spending your money? Yes, but here's the thing. Again, it's better than the alternative would have been. No, I'm not I'm not I didn't isn't. like I'm the idea of the bailout. I, I am not a proponent of bailouts, but I'm just making I am sure we understand the difference between public and private money. Right. Look, there's no question that what happened in 2008 was that the banks took a lot of stupid bets and they had huge um, disasters. And the way I tell my students is you imagine a guy is in charge, you know, a father has two kids and a wife living in the suburbs. He snorts a bunch of meth, goes into the casino with his family's life savings, bets it all on black, and it comes up red on the roulette wheel, and suddenly the family's broke. Do we help the kids? Yes. Because they're not, why should they be punished for what druggy dad did, right? But, yeah, I agree. But then we send the dad to rehab and maybe ban him from the casino, which is the second part of it. We, we need the state to say banks cannot be too big to fail. Okay. Um, I just want to go into a little bit more detail about what a market is in a second. Um, because I'm not a 100% fervent capitalist okay, necessarily. Good. I just want the government to leave me alone. Okay. As much as possible. Do you know right. what I mean? As much yeah. as legally possible. I don't like the idea of monopolies. I, I don't want an evil can. corporation to own all the business. Yeah. I, I don't want the government to own all the business. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because prices will just go up. Like, this is something was I was thinking about. Right. This is something I was thinking about. I think you and I share, because I'm an anarchist at heart, and I don't know how you would describe yourself, probably libertarian. Is that fair to say it? I'm um, probably more liberal than I am conservative. Yeah. yeah okay, sure. So uh, you and I share a distrust of the state. Because you don't want the state to have too much power. I don't want the state to have too much power. Absolutely. But the way in which I think we differ is I share the same skepticism and and anxiety about the power of corporations. Mm. Because I think... And and that that is... I mean, it was corporations. It may have obviously the law as well, but it was... The fault of corporations why we had child labor in the, yes. in the 1900s. Like it was 1800s. the fault of corporations why we had the 2008 disaster. The corporations yeah, pro- decided they needed more short-term financial gain, and so they came up with these collateralized debt obligations and all the rest of it, and they they got through their political power, through lobbying and, and, and political action committees and whatever, they got the federal government to change the rules for trading on Wall Street so that it was legal for them to do those very risky things, and then when the whole thing came crashing down they said well we're too big to fail if we go down we bring half the economy with us okay let me let me put it to you this way this is how i think peter schiff um he's a successful like business guy go ahead shoot Um, let me hear you shoot basically when a business takes a risk it 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 basically weighs the benefits versus the risk um and if you know that you will be bailed out what would stop you taking that risk? That's called moral hazard. Like if I know, for example, like if I know that my mum will lend me money if I spend all my money at the racetrack, mm-hmm. I'm probably just going to spend all my money at the racetrack anyway because Absolutely. I know my mum will lend me money. Oh, yeah. Okay. So in, your, in, in the scenario that you've described where if there was no government bailout, the banks would have failed and we'd have been in a worse situation. Much worse. How, how do we know that if there was going to be no bailout and the banks were aware, how do we know they would have taken the same risks? Oh, that's a good because question. The, because the point of a business is to make money. A business doesn't want to fail. Oh, business right. wants to make money. So if oh, there's yeah. like if I'm going to employ someone, I don't want to do it knowing I've got no money. I want to make sure I'm going to be able to afford to pay but, that guy. But this is my whole point. If you believe that by making 10% profit with a safe bet today, mm. you can, you know, that, that's, the safe bet will get you 10%. 
but a more risky bet will get you 50%. You're going to take that more risky bet. And that's the point, is that capitalism says, because the only requirement for my life is to make that short-term profit, it doesn't matter if I am condemning my workers to live in poverty. It doesn't matter if I'm putting lead in the water of Flint, Michigan. It doesn't matter if I am causing the stability of the entire economic system to be at risk. Well, I, th I think it does, because I don't think, I don't think what you're describing there is capitalism necessarily. Um, like I said, like, like a market, right? A market in which people trade, me and you, mm -hmm. buy and sell. Mm -hmm. um, there's no such thing as a perfect market. Perfect market doesn't exist. Right. A perfect market is where there is exactly equal amounts of supply and exactly equal amounts of demand. Right. And that sets the price. Now, that doesn't exist. That's just a concept that business academics use as a way to analyze different situations. Okay. Um, when, you have an, when you have a lot of supply prices go down and then the consumer pays cheaper prices because right. there's lots of supply but right. few demand okay yeah. so let's say let's take smartphones for example right like the iphone has got as much power as it was used on the apollo mission to land on the moon how sure. much do you think that mission cost millions like, and millions probably billions yeah i mean i know iphones aren't cheap but it's like 800 quid now that, oh, yeah. that that's a massive difference now the oh, reason sure. for that is because everyone's got an iphone and that everybody is making iphones now if if the uk government suddenly decided to be the only person making phones for everybody to use let's take the, for example like north korea people like that right. if the state was performing the business there would be no competition as there would be in a free market. Therefore, they would be able to set the price at whatever they wanted and there would be no competition. Right, or the government would be to, the monopoly. Or taken to a, to a or take into a situation which we do actually have examples of in real life. Well, hang on a second. With, Before with you move on to another example, I want to address your iPhone example. Because okay. the, the, the fact, first of all, the iPhone is dependent in part upon coltan, which is a mineral that's mined mostly in Africa, and the people who do the mining are played slave wages. And oh, yeah, the people will, who work in the Foxconn companies that you know assemble the iPhones in China, you know, I don't know if you know, but they had to put up nets to stop the workers from jumping off the roof to commit suicide publicly in order to raise awareness of the working conditions for the workers in those factories. Yeah, and, of course. And the iPhone, of course, is dependent upon internet technology, which was the result of a massive government program. The Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, developed the internet over 30, 50 years using billions of U.S. tax dollars, which is also how we got to the moon. And all I'm saying about all of that is it's not just the market that caused the iPhone to drop in price. It's also because of tax and spend government policies which said we are going to use our collective wealth even using some of that hated taxation to create this thing that is valuable for all of us and the benefits will accrue to all of us eventually as well okay well you, you can't take full credit for the internet because tim berners lee invented it and he was British. he invented the world wide web so don't even don't even start that duke I'm not <laughs> get into, basically right Mark! to put it simply i don't care about people in other countries i don't care <laughs> I'm only messing. Yes. <laughs> um, obviously, the working conditions in other countries are disgusting. Um, thankfully, we don't have that in this country anymore. Um, go back 100 years, you'll have seven-year-olds mining coal, dying every day, right. or being chopped to bits in like right. a sewing factory. Right. Um, hopefully, that'll change over time. But the, the reason why I made that point about the iPhone is because when a market is fair, there are few barriers to entry. Now, it might depend on the product. 
Mm-hmm. It might it might not. So, for example, there is probably no barrier to entry for me to start selling oranges down the market. Right. I can just go do it now tomorrow. Yeah. Go go the, go the you know the wholesaler at three o'clock in the morning. Go down the market and sell oranges. Yeah. But if the government is the only people that sells oranges, and the, there's no entry into that market, then that market cannot be fair. Therefore, only the government sets the price. Now, I'm not saying only the market is responsible for the cheap price. Of course, it's just technology moves on, government investment, private investment. You know, it's not just the US government. IBM have a lot to do with the internet. Um, you know, Microsoft have a lot to do with it. You know, coders and all the rest of it, blah, blah, blah. It's, but the, it's the free market that allows Samsung, Apple, um, Microsoft, uh, BlackBerry, all, you know, LG, all these people, operate within the market now the more regulated a market is the more difficult it is to enter it like energy there aren't there aren't really that many energy companies are there like directly supply gas and electricity to consumers i don't know what it's like in the u.s but in the uk there's only like a handful really i think that's true in the united states as well and i think that's as it should be yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying the more regulation, the more barriers to entry. That's right. just so, it's just a concept. But so here, the, the but less the question regulation... I would ask is why do there, in some cases, need to be barriers to entry? So, for instance, let's look at healthcare, right? Because our mm. system is vastly different from yours. There is oh, yeah. much less barrier to entry in the United States. If I want to open up a, you know, HMO, all I need is a building and some people who have a medical degree, right? Oh, and yeah. and yeah, and definitely. the nature of healthcare in the United States again is the desire for profit, and mm-hmm. so what we end up with is healthcare outcomes that are vastly inferior to every other nation in the world because we allow insurance companies to suck out the money and the wealth that should be going to helping people get well. Well, the the barrier to entries are helpful in some industries. We don't want every Tom, Dick, and Harry to open up a gas supply shop. Right. You know, supply people gas. Um, right. Regulation is good in, in some industries and, and barrier to entries are good in some industries because it keeps out the cowboys. Right. Like it's not necessary really to regulate the orange market. You know, you, you buy an orange, you're not, you, you know, generally it's not going to have steroids in it. It's not right. going to have, you know, cow shit injected. It's generally going to well, be a should, good orange think, down the ho- market. Hopefully we both agree that there ought to be government inspectors checking to see whether the oranges have cow shit in them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, that should happen at the farms, you know. Yeah. You know, we should have good farms and all that, but there shouldn't really be anything stopping me from buying some oranges and selling them down the shop right. and then with the money going and buying more. Right. Um, but the problem with regulation is regulation in, in, is inherently unfair because then only the richest companies can follow the regulations. And I'll give you an example. Um, as gas and electricity as an example, right, the regulation is huge, right? The benefits are it's, it's, it's a, lot, a lot safer than it used to be. Um, standardized, so all the plugs are the same. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the early 1900s and so, there was like lo- there's, there were so many electricity companies in the UK. You'd have to get different plugs for different things. Nothing, right. nothing matched. Yeah, sure. um, you know, br- the the government basically regulated the market, became the sole supplier, and standardized electricity in the UK. Now that's a fantastic idea. The same thing happened with London Underground. Like all these rich people were building their own underground lines. Right their own stations yeah. competing with each other and it was getting confusing for the consumer so the government bought them all out yeah. and made them all one company Same and then with set fire the price. departments in the United States it used to be you had to buy a badge for a certain firehouse and if your house was on fire and you had that badge the fire department would come and put out the fire but yeah. if eventually they realize well people's houses are burning down and that's not okay we should put that in the commons where everybody yeah. can get their house saved whether they have money or not so there are examples where that's great so 100% pure capitalism would 
probably just be just as bad as 100% pure socialism, right. if not worse. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, so so th- these are where the examples where people who like capitalism um, try and use those analogies is because the, there shouldn't be as uh, there shouldn't be that many barriers to be able to sell something to you, between you and I. Right. You and I should be able to trade with as little red tape as possible. Now, the reason why the price is important with supply and demand is because when demand is really high and supply is really low, whether that's stock supply or whether that's number of retailers, the price is astronomical. So, like the level of laptop that Apple sells, I know it's a, it's a you know a bloody Guardian reader. Right. middle class upper class white people bloody right. you know oh god people who want to buy a, an i an apple pc or people who need to grand. do video editing let's be fair sometimes all, all those some people, things are really yeah, easier you know. to do on the apple yeah but let's say for example that it, the high-end stylish market isn't really hasn't got a lot of competitors there's apple dell do one i think hp might do one oh, apple's a it. monopoly there's no doubt about it yeah so apple that's set, why they set don't set the let their operating 3, system be used on anything else but in the in the family laptop market they go as low as two hundred and fifty pounds for really good laptops because everyone's making them. Oh yeah, sure. So, th- so there's all this choice now. That's where capitalism is good because the 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 money that we save you and I when we buy something, we can then use to other things. Now the whole getting profits, being evil, you know, making as much money as possible, paying your workers as little as possible. That's not really a sentiment of capitalism. I think that's just people being cocks. I think it's a byproduct of capitalism. I think it, that... It, it might be a result of, of greed, to be honest, because Henry Ford paid his workers like $15 an hour, right. I think, or something back in the day. Yeah, and this because was like, he wanted this them to like be able when, to buy the product. And But it was also because he wanted to promote his, his workers to work hard for him and be loyal and, right. you know, do their best work. Right. Now... That is that has been shown. If you pay pe- if you pay monkeys, I don't know if you've ever if you've ever heard this phrase, but if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. Yeah, you ever heard that phrase before? Yeah, absolutely. But so here's if you're my paying point. people Look, five pound an hour to slave away, you're not going to get as quality service as you would, for example, a a bachelor of engineering building a bridge. Right, but here's the thing. Look, McDonald's doesn't care about getting quality workers. McDonald's cares about increasing profits for the next quarter. So think about this: if you're the CEO of McDonald's. How yeah. are you going to do that? Are you going to cut prices? They're already like a dollar for 10 cheeseburgers. You can't cut prices anymore. Are you going to pay your workers less? You're already paying them the minimum wage allowed by law. How are you going to increase profits and put some new item on the menu? They're always putting out mixed salad and garbage can. <laughs> I mean, there's an easy there's an easy way, mate. Just hire women. You only you pay them less, don't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, seriously, no, uh, I, but I think right. that that's the thing. The, the fact that the McDonald's CEO has to increase profits next quarter means that he can't be worried about the quality of people that he hires. That's just not an issue because that's going to get in the way of him being able to increase the profits. It depends, really, because I'll give you an example. Something like 99% of businesses in the UK have one employee. Okay. So that's self-employed small business. Okay. Capitalism is where they operate. Right. So so I, I understand when people say things like Walmart or McDonald's and, and all these things. Right, yeah, right, right. You know, all they want to do is sell shit and make as much money as possible. Right. But the market helps all those individuals that make money. Right. And they're not evil corporations. No, they're and not. Also, You're right. And also, when, when does a company become evil? Because Walmart was a one, you know, mom and pop shop at some point. McDonald's yeah. was two blokes in Philadelphia right. or wherever right. it was. Right. So, so here's the right. So my point is that you know when I say capitalism is immoral, I mean that it does not structurally have the well-being of the people at its foundation. What and, system would? 
Well, it exactly. So how? Right. It. So okay. So Ha Jun Chang, that South Korean economist I was just talking about, he's my favorite yeah. economist in the world. He says capitalism is the worst system we've ever developed, aside from all the others. Yeah. Which of course <laughs> yeah, is I've a paraphrase of Winston well. Churchill talking about democracy, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I like and, that. And I'm inclined to agree with that, which is to say that yes, socialism as a you know Maoism is not better than capitalism, right? Stalinism was not better <laughs> yeah. than capitalism, right? Um, yeah. I, I believe that communist states tend to be horrible autocratic institutions that I would never want to live in. But mm. but that does not mean that I don't think we can do better, right? Of course. And I, I believe I, that, I, I that our economic agree. system, I believe our economic system needs to have at its foundation the basic needs of all people first, food, clothing, shelter, medical care. And then once everybody has all of those things, then you can make as much money as you want. Okay. Um. The system that we have now um, is the is is what allows us to sustain the world that we live in. Today. I don't believe we are sustaining it. Well, how easy is it for you to get food, water, clothing, technology? You know, how easy it's, are those things for you? It's to very come by? easy for me, but for a lot yeah, of people around the world, it's very difficult. They have to hustle every, every everything. Day. Well, yeah, true. I mean, there's people in Ethiopia that can't get fresh water, but I'm not talking about. There's those people, people in Flint, Michigan, who can't get fresh water. Yeah, but th those people aren't like. Like the people in those poorest countries in the world, the absolute bottom of the third world, they have it worse than the people in Flint, Michigan. Yes, I will. Yeah, agree of course. With that. Like, but but those people aren't suffering due to capitalism necessarily. Now, I don't, I'm not saying like about their warlords. That's not the point I'm making. What I'm saying is, those people are suffering for a hundred million different reasons, right? And they're not the same reasons that we're prospering. The reason we're prospering is because because of the industrial revolution, because of globalization and like macro globalization, and because we've got all of this wealth is the reason why you and I will never die of the plague. Okay, let, let me push back on that cuff. then. Let me push so back what? on that though. Hang on a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, but go on. but, but go the on. reason we have cheap crap at Walmart is because they make their stuff in China where if you try to establish an independent union, you end up in a ditch without your head. And the same is true in Bangladesh. And the same is true in Indonesia. So in a way, the people in those countries where life is toughest, in some way, their lives are hard because of the way that capitalism insists we need the cheapest workers on the planet. And the rules of global capitalism has said we will allow this race to the bottom and anything that tries to protect workers or tries to protect the environment is, according to the WTO and the North American Free Trade Agreement and a whole bunch of other agreements it is a barrier to free trade let me ask you this um is it capitalism that says it needs to be the cheapest price or is it you and me i think it's both you think it's both because, because capitalism you, you is... and i will not buy you and i will not pay 50 dollars for a t-shirt well, I mean, we yourself, might go if you want to buy a nice all. one, but, you know, if we're talking about needs, you and I will not pay $50 for a T-shirt. We okay. want to be able to buy a T-shirt for $5 um, off, the sh off the shelf, cheapest chips, right. you know, do you know right. what I mean? Because consumers want the cheapest price, and in a, in a society where we've got an, an, an too much stuff, we have too much stuff in the West. Yeah, I agree with stuff, that. Yeah. Way more than we need. Because of that, we want the cheapest shit. So it's not necessarily evil corporations that's making the prices cheaper by using slave labor in the third world. Necessarily, it's what it is, is the consumers are demanding the cheapest price. Now, if, now this is the argument some economists make who are pro-free market. If we made it cheaper to purchase and manufacture goods in our own countries, uh, prices may go up a little bit, 
but at least we wouldn't be using Chinese, you know, essentially slaves to make our but, iPhones. But, but would our rivers become as polluted as Chinese rivers? Because I would vote no on that. Well, I wouldn't really want more pollution. We we had we had smog in the fifties that was just ridiculous. Beijing have got it now. We used yeah. to have that back but in the day. But why does Beijing have so much it. of it now? Because that's and, where all the manufacturing is, and they're polluting their environment in an insane way because they want those manufacturing jobs. And that's that's true. But like to sustain the amount of people that we've got, and I'm not talking about um, I'm not talking about over over consumption in this in this bit either. I'm not talking about like there's a million things we we buy that we don't need. I mean like. Our day-to-day food, clothing, energy, you know, transport, getting right. to work. Yeah. Those things are only sustained by the system that we've got. Now, in order to improve it, I th- if it was me, um, I'd, renewable energies, I think, would bring down the cost and then become a less, a sm- much smaller carbon footprint. We could produce the stuff then in, in China if we wanted, and it would be cheaper and less environmentally Well, impactful. certainly, yeah. I mean, China is leading the way, ironically enough, in terms of renewable energy. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And I think once we get to the point where energy is basically costless, I think, I think, we're, I think the system is going to change right now. We're so reliant on fossil fuels. It's the reason why we need all this factory, all that, you know, all those plants, all those people. I think, I think eventually we're got, we are going to reach a better system. And I don't, but I think it'll, I don't think it'll be more socialist than capitalism. I think it'll just be less people involved. You know, more I, I don't know if I see how less people involved means a better system necessarily. How fast can it you do It sounds like the Matrix, how, dude. I don't want to live in the Matrix. There's no how, people how fast involved can in that. You do maths? How fast can you do maths? And how I fast suck can at math. We've already maths? been through this. That's what I mean. Like, like you were Math, I said. I suck at math. It's not maths. It's maths. maths. Mathematics has an S. <laughs> yeah, but when you abbreviate, it's like if you say I love playing sports, it's just it, you put the S on the end. That's people sport. are so weird. Sport. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I think the problem with capitalism is that it's it's an expensive system which requires things that lower cost. The biggest expense is actually people. That's the biggest expense. Um, well, as we see more mechanized stuff, I think the cost is going to go down because people are going to become few and far between in, ter- in terms of the jobs. Like, for example, one computer can replace 100 people who do calculations. Yeah, but the, the question is what happens to those people who used to have well, those jobs? That, that's the next social issue, isn't it? The, yeah. the, problem with, the problem with solving problems is you create more problems. But here's you know, my point. We had, Look, we had, cholera, we had cholera in the 1800s. So, you know, we purified all the water and all that, but then that the cost of water went up. So, you know, then we have to pay that and then solve that problem. How do we get costs down? Right. So what I'm saying is that automation is a good thing. I'm glad I don't have to do laundry the way they did laundry 100 years ago, right? But yeah. the question then is, and again, this is where I think capitalism's immorality comes into play. Because capitalism says, if you own the robots, you get all the wealth that the robots create. But Stephen Hawking said that's not going to lead to a good outcome for most humans because once the robots are doing all the work, the question is what happens to everybody else? And Mm. in an enlightened system, we would say let's take all that wealth that the robots make, divide it among all the people, and maybe if you own the robots, you get five shares or whatever, a little bit more because you own the robots. Okay, but we Mm. all should benefit from that wealth. But that's not the trend we're seeing. What we're seeing is the trend of I own it, it's mine, I get all the money. See, I, I think that that's. I think that could be a whole sync cast in itself. Yes. You know whether we, um, you know, redistributionism and stuff yes. like that, or distributionism, because um, the, the distribution question of redistribution yeah. is different from the question of distribution. I, I think. I think it comes down to, and this would lead into probably the racism thing we were talking about and slavery and all that, 
we're fighting against human human beings. Yeah. Human beings are tribal, greedy, yeah. selfish. Can be. We are also loving, sacrificing, compassionate, caring. And 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 because there's that balance, we have, you know, you know, depending on the industry, horrible capitalist greedy pigs, but we yeah. also have beautiful charitable organizations and yeah. we have people that look after the environment. Yeah. I think I think as time goes on, like slavery is no longer a thing in the West at all. Everybody agrees on that issue. But uh, th- 200 years ago, it was like, oh, no, they're not even human, are they? They're just, you know, animals. Right. I think a lot of people I feel think, that way about folks who are in prison, to be fair. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, don't do the crime if you can't do the time yeah. type of mentality. You know, they, here's, they here's what I want to suggest. They, here's what they, I suggest. They've rescinded their rights. And we don't need to care about them. That type of stuff, isn't it? Right. So here's what I'm going to suggest. We're at 97 minutes now. Um, I need a break. I know that we've been at this for a while, and I'm going to propose that we put this out, and then we do a part two later on. That sounds good to me. Whenever, whenever you want. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rich. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I hope it's been helpful for listeners. And I think I've really come to understand where you're coming from on a lot of things. And, you know, obviously we don't see eye to eye on stuff, but I think, like I said, I think it's healthy for us to exchange perspectives like this. So, um, yeah, anything you want to add real quick before we wrap up part one here? Um, uh, Yeah, just that, you know, you make make some great cases. And um, I think we found places where we agree that we might not have even thought we'd agree on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think I've been able to understand issues a bit more. I think you sort of understand different issues a little bit more now that we've discussed things. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm for the record, I am, you know, more liberal than I am conservative. I'm only conservative because the left moved. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Well, um, we can definitely talk shift- about the shifting uh, political spectrum in the Yeah, everything session, shifted so. and kind of left me on the right, and I was like, well, you know, what am I doing here? And then Fair as, enough. like I said, reflection, as time goes on, I've, I've thought, like, you know, I you know, we can't treat the poor like shit. As humanity, we should look after people who are in the third world who have no yeah. hope, you know? So that, that makes me liberal, whereas yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not an evil, you know, no, Nazi. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah. the other thing I do at the end of every interview is I like to ask people, what song do you want to go out on? Um, what song? You pick a song, and we'll play it on the outro. Um, just any kind of song you're into, any song that you think is important or fun or just whatever. Um, yeah. Money for nothing. Money for nothing. Dire Straits. Awesome. Yeah. Go with that one. Capitalism. <laughs> it's going to happen, man. Thank you so much, Rich. And, yeah, uh, thanks a lot, mate. Yeah. We'll talk to you again soon. Definitely. Cheers. Thanks a lot.
Syncast is a production of the floating brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is solely responsible for its content. This program is a joint venture of Ribonucleic Records and Garrison Multimedia. Our show is made possible by a grant from the Fargus Foundation. Some restrictions may apply. See SOAR for details. Fight the power. So powerful. Math. It's not maths.